Hey, this is Dominique Henderson, your CFP on YouTube, helping you jumpstart your career in financial services. As always, I'm bringing to you fresh ideas from a recently aired video on my YouTube channel, which you can find at www.youtube.com slash the YouTube CFP. Do me a favor, my friend, and text me at 214-699-7599 with any questions you might have from this show so I can help you along your journey in becoming a successful financial professional. Again, that number is 214-699-7599. All right, let's hop into today's topic. In all my years of being a financial professional, I have never really heard a lot of people give away their investment secrets or explain their investment philosophy. There's only been a few. But today, I wanna share mine and give you what I feel are the number one tips for having a successful investment philosophy. Get the pen and paper out. Hey everybody, this is Dominique Henderson, your CFP on YouTube. And today I wanna to talk about investment philosophy. This being my second decade in the industry and having read my fair share of academic research, uh, books, listening to people, you know, I basically come down to one sentence, which is not my own, it was uttered by Sir John Templeton, um, but it underlies my all my investment philosophy, um, so whether you are a provider or a consumer of financial services, I think this can apply to you. And it is that the best time to invest is when you have money, because history suggests that it is not market timing, but time in the market. So that's it. You know, <laughs> it's really no more complicated than that. And usually you will find that most of the research shows that the longer your investment horizon, the more time you can have compounding interest work in your favor, sometimes called the eighth wonder of the world, the better off you are. So I want to break down really a couple of facets of how you would form an investment philosophy, no matter if you're a practitioner or a consumer of financial services. I want to show you how you would try to form these things and some, maybe some things that have helped me along the way. So let's jump right in. So if we're just extrapolating from what Sir John Templeton said and saying that timing is not as important as time in, so you know, market timing and you know, when, when you buy and sell is not as important as how long you're in the market, that means that we got to have a strategy. So that's tip number one. You got to have a strategy and you got to stick to it. Your strategy doesn't have to be my strategy, and my strategy doesn't have to be your strategy. You can think about technical analysis or modern portfolio theory or many other schools of thoughts out there, low-cost index funds and ETFs. It really doesn't matter what your strategy is. It's just you gotta have one and you gotta stick to it. So, for instance, my strategy, my core strategy is the fact that markets I feel are efficient. You know, there's a lot of research decades and decades upon research that shows that you know market prices kind of show you everything that there is about assets. And especially when you're talking about stocks with nearly 100 million transactions a day, the price data is very indicative of how assets are going to perform. Now what this means is, and I've covered a video on this before, is that the dimensions of return, what actually catapults your portfolio into being better than something you compare it to, like maybe the S&P, are going to be um, evaluated across a couple dimensions. For instance, you're gonna have a better return from stocks than you do bonds. So really, um, equities perform better than bonds on average. 
then you're going to have a better return from smaller companies versus larger companies. You're going to also have a better return from companies that are more profitable versus less profitable companies. And there are just different aspects of, you know, dimensions of return. Now, this is a philosophy that has been espoused by Dimensional Fund Advisors out of Austin, which I use a lot of their mutual funds. I'll leave a link down below if you want to learn more about that research. Um, I'll have some videos or at least a link to some videos that you can watch to learn a little bit more about Dimensional. But I would say overall, have a strategy and stick to it. No matter what that strategy is, you do need to have a true north when it comes to your investment philosophy. Hey, Dominique here, and I hope you are really enjoying this week's episode. Look, if you're a current or aspiring financial professional and you'd like to join a community of like-minded individuals that I'm sharing my 20 plus years of experience with, make sure you visit my website at www.djh-capital.com for more information. Now back to this week's episode. Tip number two is you're going to have to develop a method for evaluating assets, right? So, you know, some people like technical analysis, which means you're going to look at charts, you're going to look at momentum, you're going to look at, you know, ways to get in, you know, like relative strength, Bollinger Bands, you know, the whole nine Keltner channels. I've, I've heard it all, right? So a lot of you probably watching this channel are like, what are all those terms, Dominique? So you can just go to and you can Google any of those terms. I may um, link a couple things down on some, maybe some of the better technical analysis that I've seen um, that's been produced out of the Chartered Financial um, Analyst Institute, CFA Institute. But regardless of that, you know, whether you're a, tech, a technician or you're a fundamentalist, right, you're going to look through um, the financial statements, which a lot of people think are like kind of backward looking and not forward looking. It really doesn't matter. Like I said, you know, if you have a strategy that you're going to stick to, then you got to have a way that you're going to evaluate assets. How do you determine the intrinsic value of an asset to see whether or not it's a good purchase or not, right? You know, in real estate, they always say you make your money on the buy. Well, it's the same thing with other asset classes. You make your money on the buy based on the fact that you see that these are, you know, assets that have a higher intrinsic value than where they're currently priced in the market. And then you go in and buy those assets. The next thing you would do is you would find probably a portfolio manager or asset company, um, fund company that has those type of assets. So maybe you want to use Fidelity funds or Vanguard funds or Schwab funds um, or ETFs that are, you know, um, you know, the bigger fund families. It really doesn't matter. But you've got to, you know, you see you start working now. There's like kind of like a waterfall, right? You develop your strategy. You develop how you're going to evaluate these assets whether they be from a fundamental or technician, uh, technical way or, or a hybrid of those two. And then you start to find the fund companies or the managers that um, are in those sleeves. And then you start to um, pick those funds and those investments that they offer. The other consideration I would mention there is that if you are a practitioner or a provider of financial services, a lot of this will probably be, be dictated by the type of clients you're going to serve, right? You know, um, if you have clients that need X amount in their portfolio because they're either taking income or different events, you, that may filter you, the, the type of choices that you have when it comes to who you choose as an asset manager and, and, and things of that nature. So just kind of keep that in mind. Tip number three would be to develop a framework for monitoring um, everything you form. So after you have your strategy and after you have how you're going to pick your assets, uh, whether that be, um, you know, some other route that I talked about or or something else, 
um, you would want to have a way to monitor um, how these assets are performing. Are you going to compare it to the S&P or are you going to compare it to some hybrid uh, benchmark? Or um, maybe you're going to have a, um, a, a mix of things, right? If you're running 60-40 portfolios, which means 60% equities and 40% bonds, um, you have some type of um, you know, benchmark that you make up. Really doesn't matter because it's going to be, again, custom to what you want. But you do want to have a way to kind of evaluate your, your performance on a you know, quarterly or annual basis to see how you're performing. Because it could be that you know, what you've put together is really not as good as something that's more out of the box and plain vanilla, like just you know, investing in the broad market S&P. So you've, you've got to have a way to, fr uh, a framework for evaluating this, whether you're an individual investor or whether you're a professional that is managing other people's money. Because as a professional managing those um, client portfolios, they're going to hold you accountable to you earning the returns that you said you're going to earn. And the way that you're, you counterbalance this is, you know, obviously you're going to have an investment philosophy, but you also want to counterbalance this with the behavior of the client, right? If you are performing below the market year after year after year, that's going to affect that client wanting to stay with you and putting in the recommendations that you've given them in their comprehensive financial plan just because the investment part doesn't look as good as it should. So you want to kind of consider all those things. Um, you know, when we're talking about forming an investment philosophy and what drives long-term returns in a portfolio, client behavior is a huge thing. If you cannot get your clients to stick to the portfolios that you put together, then that's going to um, drastically um, affect the amount of money that they have left at the end of the plan. And if you're an individual investor, you got to have a discipline. You can't be jumping in and out. For instance, I know a lot of investors that jumped out of the market in 2008, only to jump back in in 2009 after the market had already reached highs. So, you know, those people that were dollar cost averaging and sticking to their plans and sticking to their discipline because they had a framework through 2008, um, made out a lot of money, uh, made a lot of money, and made out better than those that sold at the bottom, and then tried to get back in at the top of 2009. Now, if you would like a little bit more insight into the way I look at investments and what my evaluation is, I have done a video on that, and I'm going to link that in the cards. But let me ask you this: How would you describe your investment philosophy? If I was to ask one of your clients or if you're um, or an individual investor and I would just sit down and interview you, how would you describe your investment philosophy? Leave that down in the comments. I would love to read about it. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up this week's episode and I hope you were able to glean at least one takeaway that will help you on your path. You know what? I'd really love to hear what it was that I said that may have helped you. Feel free to drop me an email at info at djh-capital.com. That's info at djh-capital.com. One last thing, my friend, it would really help the podcast if you would leave a review on the platform that you're enjoying it on. I'd really appreciate it, and it will help more financial professionals like yourself find out about what we're doing here. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.